You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast, and we're starting our Halloween retrospective series with John Carpenter's original 1978 slasher, Halloween. You have no trouble. Me, fifth element. You will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death, praying for war. But until that day, you are cute. Sound off like you got a pair. Ah, yes! I was wondering what would break first. Your spirit? Or your money? You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. God is dead! This city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, yes. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Dead fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Welcome to the podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Brian Elkins. With me here tonight, Mr. Jeremy Benson. Howdy. And Mr. Paul Williams. What's up? And we're here, guys, talking John Carpenter, 1978. His seminal slasher, his genre-defining horror film, Halloween. A lot of good stuff came out in 78. Yeah. Me. (laughs) Halloween. Halloween. Uh, Jaws 2. I know that came out the same year. I don't know why I know that. <laughs> it's kind of a random one to throw out there, but uh, hey, really? Yeah, I don't know why I do that. Yeah, I, well, I think I've just recently rewatched that. But um, yeah, I mean, that was kind of the state of horror films, though. Like, a horror was kind of slipping in the '70s. Like, it had gone through like The Exorcist and all the all those big films. Like, uh, what did we have? We had Chainsaw, Black Christmas, The Omen. Oh yeah, The Omen. That was which was, sort of kicked uh-huh. off the whole devil antagonist. Or was that Rosemary's Baby? One of those. Two. Yeah, Rose, yeah, yeah. That was yeah, Rosemary's Baby. Well, I, I always forget which one comes first, Rosemary's well, it's, it's Baby. Trio, <laughs> it's, it's that trio that The Exorcist kind of topped off with Rosemary's Baby, The Omen, and then The Exorcist. Uh, those are yeah, good. It was kind of like this weird, uh, this this kind of odd cycle of, of '70s where it was like <laughs> a lot of movies were based around like demon possession or the occult. Well, horror does tend to take that cycle where it's. Like a cult, mm-hmm. ghost, slashers. I mean, we're almost seeing. We're, we're almost kind of seeing the ending of the the ghost, you know, or the the poltergeist genre again. You know, with like all the movies like Insidious and. Um, I don't. I don't feel like we're near the end of it, though. I feel like we're kind of still. A, I don't think we're like at the peak anymore, but I, I feel like we're still in the height of that. Because, like, yeah, the, the yeah, Nun just yeah. came out and cleaned up at the box office, man. That's already made over $100 yeah, million. Nun, dollars. Yeah. That movie actually did <clears throat> way more surprising 
significantly better than I thought it was gonna do. Well, dude, all those Conjuring films. I mean, it was the same thing, like when you had like money. The Grudge and all that, and then all the, the Ring, yeah, the and Ring, then Saw hits, yeah. and you got Saw, Hostel. Yeah, you had that series Torture there for a while. Point. What was that? They even had that. What was it? Touristas, right? <laughs> I think that kind of finished out with the Human Centipede, or at least maybe that's wishful thinking on my part. Well, yeah, then it started like going way overboard in places. Uh, high tension was good. Yeah. Oh, high tension. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a really, really good slasher movie. You know, that pulled a lot of elements from Halloween. Because I, I would say outside of Halloween, that was the first time, like, just being in that home environment, getting that, even though that wasn't suburbia, that was like a, a, a farmhouse in, uh, in France. And isolated. Yeah. So it's a little bit different, but you still get that, like, that home environment and that, that family being terrorized in that movie where the girl's locked in the closet. Oh, so good. Oh, uh, what was that one that... The damn New Zealand horror movie, Wolf Creek. Was it like Wolf Creek, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what was it, New Zealand or I was thought that, that was Australia. Australia. Yeah, yeah, Australian, New Zealand. Whatever. They're both uh, good day, mate. Put another shrimp on the body. Different ends of the, <laughs> yeah. of the sphere, but <laughs> our one New Zealand yeah. listener just stopped listening right now. How dare they? <laughs> it's, like, it's not American. It's, not so it's like you know, New Zealand. <laughs> So when they made Lord of the Rings, Pretty right? Big. They got they got hobbits and elves and stuff <laughs> and wolf creeks. <laughs> if it isn't American, all right. So don't give any uh, hitchhikers rides in the outback. Yeah, no shit. Uh, I but, got to watch that one at AFM. Oh yeah, yeah. Wolf re- Creek. Yeah, it was really good. I like that director a lot. He he put out a, a movie with Kevin Bacon. Um, that was a ghost film. I did not get to see it though. But I heard good things about it. It came out uh, like a year or two years ago. Yeah, it's was one, it's one of those ones that kind of slipped through the cracks. It, it got a theatrical release. I can't remember the name Damn, of it. Save I didn't my life. even know Kevin Bacon had been in a horror movie since Stir of Echoes. Yeah, yeah, he was he was in that. And it's the same director. I forget what his name is. Greg, Greg McLaren or McLean, it's something like that. Hold on. Yeah, and he did a, a really great giant crocodile movie called Rogue. Man, that is like one of the the best giant aquatic beast movies since uh since jaws man i i i'd rank it that high it's really good well i'll be there not that there's a lot of uh giant aquatic monster movies you know out there but <laughs> there's that one and then that other one <laughs> about that shark with the boat you know he's got doll's <laughs> eyes not to be confused with devil's eyes because this movie that's right dr loomis donald pleasant he says michael meyer has devil's eyes and for some reason, Definitely. like, I always get that quote and the Jaws quote mixed up. Really? Yeah, because he's got doll's eyes and Jaws and, yeah, devil's eyes. I always get those two mixed up. Which is which? Well, one has evil eyes and one has emotionless <laughs> eyes. Well, I mean, Michael Myers is kind of like, I mean, you don't ever see, like, that mask is so awesome. You don't get to see his eyes at all. They're just, like, black sockets. And, you know, that's, that's it. That's all you got. Can we talk about how well, awesome takes- that mask is? You know when he takes the mask off, it's still just black sockets, right? <laughs> he, dude, he's just he takes the mask off, and he's really just got like black grease paint, like sprayed like all over his eyes. He looks yes. like a uh, he's got black eyes. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's got dead eyes. He looks like a thrash rocker. The ma- the mask, I think, man, is is really one of those things that it, it looks so cool, and it it's just one of those things. I don't know why, but it it is absolutely creepy. It's the white face. Maybe yeah. it's because it's emotionless. 
Uh, maybe it's the big black eyes, you know, and it's just the soulless features of that. I don't know what it is, but man, it is disturbing. Or it could have been the fact that, you know, it was based off of William Shatner, too. <laughs> the Darkness was the movie with Kevin Bacon. Oh, that was it? The Darkness. And the same director did Wolf Creek, too. All right, okay. That's what it was. Thank you, IMDb. <laughs> the Darkness. I need to check that out. But yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of The Mask. I think that's one of the reasons, you know, the movie works. The whole, you know, this is the boogeyman that all the characters in the movie are, are constantly like, you know, all of them are, are personifying some kind of evil or attributing evil to Michael Myers. Like he's he's worse than the baddest guy that's ever escaped from the middle hospital. He is straight evil. And then you've got the... You know, I was always led to the assumption that how he acquired the mask was when he gets the, the coveralls. Like, what? I no. always thought that... Yeah, I mean, that's what I always assumed. I always assumed that when he, you know, he, he attacked the guy that was in the truck and he left his, his, his gown from the mental institution there, that that's where he acquired the mask. Wait, what? Why, why would you think that? Let's, let's follow this for a moment. <laughs> why, why would you think that, though, Paul? Well, because how? Where else does it really say in the movie? It doesn't say anything about that. I mean, okay. Well, so when the... the sheriff is talking to his daughter about the break in at the hardware store, and all oh, they took yeah. was yeah, 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 some, some rope and some Halloween masks, <laughs> some knives, yep. and a couple of Halloween masks. Who took Must that? Have missed that part. Ah, it's just some damn kids, right? <laughs> you blame oh, everything yeah. on kids. Yeah, no, that's what that was, man. That was a little. Well, uh, I, well I there are a have... bunch of good little subtle references like that in the movie. Like there, even in that scene, like if you if you blink, you can actually miss that Michael Myers pulls by because Sam Loomis. Oh yeah, he it comes and talks to the sheriff, and like right when the sheriff walks <laughs> away, yep. you see the station wagon. He and Michael pulls Myers up, is driving. he watches, and then drives off. Drives right yeah. behind him. Yeah. The evil, the evil is gone. <laughs> it's gone from here. <laughs> uh, man, Donald Pleasance, the only star, uh, cost him twenty thousand dollars of their Flat fee. Yeah, three thousand and twenty. What was it? Three hundred and twenty thousand dollar budget. He got he got twenty thousand, yeah. and the rest, I think, uh, one hundred and fifty of that went to the camera because they decided to shoot uh, on Panavision with those anamorphic lenses. <laughs> <laughs> And that's one expensive-ass camera for 1978. Uh, well, yeah. Well, I mean, you were shooting... Um, it's not only that, but it's also the film, and they're shooting with anamorphic glass to squeeze the, the image on... to get it to fit on the film. That's how you get those, like... Uh, even on 16 by 9 televisions now, uh, you get the black bars at the top, and the reason why is because they're shot in anamorphic glass. Back to the mask. One of the um, aspects of it that I've always loved is how just how plain it is like emotionless it kind of plays into that what's going on behind because there's no emotion on the face but what's going on in the mind of that and the head tilts man you never really get to see like the you know the real monster thematically is the inner heart of the person well yeah there's there's one scene in the movie that i've always really enjoyed because you get this this childlikeness from Michael Myers. It's the scene where he kills Bob, you know, and he kind of just like, he's like, 
sits there and he almost like tilts his head like a like a doll or like a puppy when you whistle at it at a high pitch frequency or when it hears a high pitch frequency it's like he's just kind of just standing there staring at his work almost like with this childlike wonder yeah it's it's definitely creepy i don't know if it, i don't know if i'd call it childlike wonder it's i don't know it's like oh yeah sociopathic mm. curiosity yeah it's like oh that, yeah, that's yeah. what they look like when they're dead yeah that's right i forgot <laughs> yeah. it's been a while it's like 20 minutes <laughs> oh yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> when the guy in the truck died he screamed but this guy <laughs> uh, i think my favorite like little hood tilter like just his weird moment is when he he picks up the phone like after strangling linda and Laurie's on the other end. She's like, if this is a joke, I'll kill you. And he just kind of picks up the phone and, and puts it to his ear like, what is this? <laughs> what are you, what do you do with this thing? And it's just, it's very bizarre. Like, just even how he holds it and how he looks at it. I mean, you can't see his eyes. And it's just like, I wonder what that motherfucker is thinking. Like, I'm just going to murder the shit out of you in a couple minutes, honey. <laughs> you just wait. Either that or, either that or it completely intrigued him because he heard the word kill. He was like, what? Oh, he's like, oh, oh, yeah. Well, there's the kill party going on. I'm, I'm all down. Kill. It's Halloween, baby. Let's go. Like, yeah, I'm all about kill party. Who's gonna kill who? What was that? It's, it is one of those movies that they, it's, it's low budget, but it, it doesn't hold it back. The love, there's so much love and passion in the movie, and there's a lot of things that are, that are wrong. You know, there's a lot of inconsistencies in the movies and things you can point out. That don't make a lot of sense. Like, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, Hattonfield, Illinois, which is not a real town, unfortunately. I didn't I didn't know that when I was a child. That kind of broke my heart when I found that out. But, really? Why? Well, it's just, I don't know. I kind of wanted to go there and, you know, like, see, see what it was like. I, and, you know, I was like a stupid I kid. It was like, what? They make up movies? Uh, make up towns and movies? That's crazy. I was the exact opposite. Like, when I first saw a movie that was based in a real city, I was like, really? Oh. I guess they I saw- make movies with real places? <laughs> oh, I guess I mostly just thought of, like, yeah, it was mostly real places. Metropolis, Castle Rock. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's like the Midwest. There's green everywhere, you know. It's supposed to be during Halloween. What's all, what's all this green on the trees? But... I walk outside, Brian. <laughs> but, you know, I don't... <laughs> they, they're going, they're going through 95 today. <laughs> yeah, I never, I never thought Illinois could get off, give off a, a California vibe. Yeah, there's even some palm trees and a couple of shots. But, I mean, like, what are you yeah, doing? I love that bag of leaves, though, that show up in every shot. <laughs> I always love imagining, all right, cut, grab the leaves, don't leave any. Yeah, well, they they were raking up leaves in between those takes. Because they had painted the leaves. Yeah. Oh, it's like, man, don't don't you let our leaves go now. We gotta we gotta remake all that work. Let me just, no. can't you like in your head now? Think about it. You know, at that moment, Michael Myers is picking up leaves. <laughs> you know that's what happened. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis is grabbing leaves. Hey, look, guys! Michael can get along. Yes, characters with their their gore wounds. Uh, I guess there's not a lot of there's not a lot of gore in this movie. No, no. This is really really tame by today's standard. I saw it uh, on the way over here. Actually, I was watching an interview where uh, Carpenter was talk. It was Carpenter in an old interview with the producer, and she was the one saying that you know people remember the movie having a lot more gore, but 
he was really adamant about not having a lot of gore and leaving it to the imagination. Yeah. I was reading some interview where uh, John Carpenter was saying, like, one of the reasons they did that, because they didn't have enough money to uh, fool with the MPAA and doing recuts. I can I could see that. So it's like, well, we'll know we know we have a couple of nude shots in here, and we just won't put any blood. And but I only saw that one interview, and I couldn't see, you know, I couldn't find anything else about it. So oh, we see, man. You know, that's one thing. It you know, it's not always what you see. Sometimes it was what you, it's what you don't see, that really can disturb you more than what you see. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean. Uh, I was reading Roger uh, Ebert's review of Halloween, and he he starts off his review with a quote from Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, it's an it's an old Alfred Hitchcock quote where he says, "I like to play the audience like like the piano," and I do think John Carpenter takes that to heart. And again, like that's part of like why the movie is it's got that uh, independent passion, and it's very infectious when you watch it. Like you can see all the love that went into this movie. And how well crafted it is, and I, yeah, it's not the best in terms of thought out stories, but in terms of a thrill ride, I don't think you're gonna do any better than this movie. I mean, I just think how it's constructed is genius. Yeah, I mean, I, I could I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, wait, just the way the movie shot, like these slow brooding shots that just seem to kind of move at like a snail scale pace and all the POV shots, all the shots of, of Michael Myers where he's almost made out to be like this phantom type character in the movie. You know, one of the things I will say about the long, like drawn out walking shots and I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. I've seen the riff tracks on this movie. <laughs> And it uh-huh. is it. You can't get it out of your head. You, it is hilarious. I you, still can't believe they made a riff track for this movie. They they talk highly about the movie, but when you're watching <laughs> those shots and they're going, "All right, and cut, 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 <laughs> and cut," you can't get it out of your head. But watching it back, one of the things do, those long shots do is they put you in those situations of you're walking yep. down the street and. You saw somebody, but they're not there anymore. Now you kind of feel like, is somebody following me? Or It does a good job of building that environment. Yeah. I also like yeah, these does. characters a lot, too. Like, over all, every other slasher film I've ever seen, I enjoy these characters. And I don't mind spending time with them. And, like, even when they're talking about, like, oh, I need to get ready for the dance. Or uh, I got to get my something done for my cheerleading. I give a lot of credit to that, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. I really think she holds that trio together. I don't know, man. I think my favorite is actually Nancy Loomis, the girl that plays Annie. Oh, they're all good. I love her, man. Like, PJ's God, funny. So There's something about that glue that Jamie Lee brings, I think, that brings them to a reality. It is a star-making performance. It is, definitely. <laughs> she did a bunch of horror movies after this and then like Whoa. stopped after like five or six. What was she doing before this? Uh, Universal uh, TV show. She was some a, TV show operation something. She was a guest on a couple of TV shows. She was like a Universal day player back in the day on the TV lot. Now she was not Carpenter's first choice for the role, but when they found out that she was yeah, I saw Janet that in the inter- daughter in the interview. Uh, Deborah Hill was like she was real big on her, and from some TV show she had seen, 
And but Carpenter was like, I don't know, I don't want her. And then <laughs> she's like, Janet Hill from Psycho's daughter. And he's like, All right. But, yeah, I mean that's that's a big that's a big connection right there. You can get Janet Lee was probably I think the first American scream queen. Yeah. yeah, I can't think of another one, guys. I really can't. I mean this this movie put a lot of the uh, really a, a lot of I don't want it's not the first slasher. It's definitely not the first, but it is the one that cemented everything. It seems into like place. to be the one that said this is what a slasher is going to be. Yeah. Especially with the final girl. I think this is what you're going to copy from now on. (laughs) Yeah, I always thought that I I would hear John Carpenter say that he was he was influenced by um, Blood and Black Lace. I've never I've never heard him say he was influenced by Blood and Black Lace. I I I think there's some. I've never. Oh, you're saying you never heard him say that? I I thought you said you did. I've never heard him say that. that. No, 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 no. No, I mean, I was just saying, because if you look at Blood and Black Lace with the POVs and, and kind of how that movie shot, and then you look at Halloween and the POVs and how that movie shot, there are some kind of a little bit of crossover there. No, yeah, I, I think there's, there's yeah, there's definitely some. I mean, even if you go back and you look at, uh, like, Black Christmas, I think that's even, that yeah. there's even more similar uh, stuff there. But yep, that is true. None, I don't think any of it comes to fruition. And, and, okay, like, the genre does not, it doesn't transcend from those, uh, from that DNA. Like, it comes from the Halloween formula. Like, Laurie yeah. Strode sets up, like, the final girl and the survivor girl for, Pretty much, it's a template for every slasher film. I mean, like, even compare... <laughs> yeah. You could look at, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which came first. Yeah. Um, yep. And you yep. got a final girl in that. But she's not the stereotypical final girl. She's yeah. not the good girl virgin... Yeah. ...that survives because that she does the right stuff. Although, I did find it... I do always find it weird that Laurie smokes, smokes a joint in this movie. Yes, she does. She should probably die for that. <laughs> you should die. You smoking that. If it was Friday the Thirteenth, Jason would have got her. Oh yeah, she would be dead. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, her ass would be fucked. <laughs> she would have. She would have been definitely murdered. Or she'd end up. She'd end up like the stoner dude in fucking part six of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh man, it's been so long since I've seen the Freddy's Dead. Yeah, just don't even, just don't even try to think about that. It's been a while since I've seen that one. I gotta, go, I should go back and rewatch that. I don't know about that. Uh, well, really? you know, do yourself. I saw that in the theater. <laughs> I was um pretty Face disappointed. Spikes. Little, little, little disappointed. Yeah, I was, I was a little disappointed. <laughs> I remember I had a friend with me who who wasn't this is like. like into horror movies we we actually snuck in to go see it we'd paid for something else and it was rated r so you couldn't go in and we snuck in there oh i bet you that was a disappointment man we came out and he just looked over at me and he goes that was stupid and neither one of us spoke for like 10 minutes it was just lingering that was stupid <laughs> this is the one we sneak into way to go yeah, that was stupid. <laughs> Way to destroy dreams, we just Hollywood. Into Wes Craven's new nightmare instead. <laughs> we sh- we should have waited four years, right? <laughs> Either that, or hopped into DeLorean and gone back to like uh, eighty seven, see part three. Uh, 
but yeah. you know back to like what the the characters being like the prototype for the genre yeah um a lot of what carpenter does though is he just bears stuff down to very simple formula small town with a secret good girl is your protagonist yep. ultimate evil is your bad guy a warning guy to tell you a van helsing to say this is what's going on yeah they even have the uh the haunted house yeah I mean, they're, they're, they are pulling on themes from like goth, gothic sources, for sure. Yeah, it's like a gothic story told on a modern neighborhood. In suburbia. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I always, I always kind of like the, the element of, of... I think one of the things that I always enjoyed about it was, was the fact that, yes, you know, it is the kind of creation of the slasher genre, but at the same time, it's still a monster movie. You know, because I mean, you got you you have this almost mythos that's kind of built up around the character Michael Myers by Doctor Loomis, and you know, you also have these other scenes where you know Laurie sees him and then she looks back and he's gone again, or you know, um, it, it it gives across this this monster movie or this supernatural kind of feeling. Yeah, but I think that's one of the things that like really works in the movie's favor, is that you don't yeah, realize that yeah, the the first time you see it, it's a it's so it's so slow, like how everything, um, like well the information that you you, you get that will reveal that Michael Myers is some kind of supernatural being that he cannot be stopped. John Carpenter is constantly piecing out little bits of information every now and again to let you know like, hey, this guy. Is, it's either through Dr. Loomis or it's through something Laurie sees that's just like, oh, wait, how is this happening? This can't this can't be uh, there's a, there's even yeah. a great shot where she she goes and she um, looks out the window and she sees him by the uh, the clotheslines. Yeah, I love that because if you look at that shot order and I missed it the first couple of times, you know, watching it, but it's a close up of her looking out the window. Then you see her POV with Michael Myers. Then it cuts back to her. And she's just staring, right? And then it cuts back to her POV again. He's gone. Cuts back to her, and then she reacts. Yeah. Wait, what did she react to? Like any other movie, like how that... You have two extra shots in there that would be cut out. Like normally, you would go to the window, you see the killer, and then we just cut to Laurie reacting. We have two other shots in there. I so what assumed she, that it was a mess-up edit. No, what, what she reacted well, I, oh, to a, was okay, his well, disappearing. Well, that's the question, is... In your opinion, in the first Halloween when they were making it, was Michael Myers, the shape, supposed to be supernatural, or was he supposed to be, at the time, just a crazy dude in a mask? I know. I think, yeah, yeah I think it's, it's, it's definitely supposed to be supernatural. You think so? Yeah. Just because like how the end is, yeah. with the breathing, and now how everything's set up, they do a good job of like him appearing in certain places and then reappearing in other places. It's like, well, wait a minute. How did he get in here? Well, you get a scene earlier in the movie when um, Annie and Lori are walking together. She sees Michael standing at the a little further down the street. She tells Annie about it, and then Annie walks down there and looks behind the bush, and, of course, he's gone. So it's kind of another one of those moments where he's like, He's pulling the damn Houdini, you know? Or he walked down the bushes and hid behind the house. Yeah, that, I mean, that one I could I could see him, like, hiding by, you know, yeah. and, yeah. you know. And some of those were, like, he's, a pop, you know, popping up in, like, um, 
I guess the backyard of, Sean Spicer. of whatever the house is that Annie's babysitting at. He's he's out in that back patio area a lot, and he'll disappear. But then he'll just like reappear in other areas. And like uh, when Laurie's going back to her, her house at the end, and and she gets in, she gets into the house, and there's this really weird moment. It, it's just bizarre how it's structured. Like when she walks into the house, and she no- she notices that the window's open, and it's like she just locked the door. Why would she possibly be worried that anybody would be in the room? The window's right there. But yeah, yeah, then you just true. start hearing the breathing come in, and it's like, yeah, it it gives you that feeling of Michael Myers is everywhere, and no matter where you are, he's he's right there. He's behind you. I don't know. I read an interesting, um, I guess you would call it internet thread, debating of whether if he was supernatural in the first one or if that was tacked on later. Well, I mean, he he got up after getting shot six times and stabbed with a butcher knife and getting stabbed and getting stabbed in the neck with a long ass sewing needle. <laughs> yeah, he did. Oh, that that's a good sound effect when he gets he gets hit with the. Yeah, sewing. What, what yes, movie is. is that? That the cop says, "Well, I've seen a guy get shot. Some oh, he's on PCP or something." I mean, I can't remember the quote, but one of the guys used that quote in the thread talking about. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know. I've never heard Carpenter talk about it. Like I've never heard his opinion on it. Oh, well, he's 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 very you know he's very adamant about it being like you know the evil incarnate. He is the boogeyman. Yeah, that, yeah I've that's, heard him say he represents. Yeah, that's what he's trying to get across. Like I don't know if he's saying like he's supernatural in origin. You know, like he's the offspring of some kind of satanic cult of Sam Hain or, you know, what they do later in the sequels <laughs> that we're going to get into here. But, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I definitely feel like there's there's something supernatural to Michael Myers. I agree. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I feel that Dr. Loomis kind of really, really sets that up. There is something that is just seriously not right about him that – no matter no matter how many tests you do, you know, the amount of hours, the therapy, like this dude is just has the soul of pure evil. I feel like Sam Loomis is ripped straight from a hammer film in the sixties. You know they originally that. wanted Peter Cushing. <laughs> Can you not like just see that character in any of the old like Hammer films, dude? I would have loved Peter Cushing. Same lines, honest. everything. Oh yeah, dude. Oh my god, it would have been awesome. Give him like a monocle or like know, a little man. pair of glasses with the rims. Oh my god, would have been over, son. I don't know who think who. I don't know Peter Cushing or Christopher Lee could have done a a good job, man. But I think I think Donald Pleasance really fits the fits the role oh, and no I, no I no i'm not taking anything away from what donald pleasance did no i think he's great well i often wondered if part of donald pleasance isn't a little bit kind of crazy himself or it's just the he knows what michael myers is that's that's what kind of drives him to seem a little loony because of his fear of what michael myers is yeah i just think he's scared I mean, they even call it out in the movie. There's a line. <laughs> like, when he's talking to the sheriff, yeah. Yeah, like, was, was it something breaks and he whoops out that gun? <laughs> he's, he's even telling the sheriff, he's like, oh, man, I got a permit for it. Don't don't, don't worry. <laughs> the sheriff's like, uh, you just seem plain scared to me, buddy. 
<laughs> I love Charles Cipher. He is a John Carpenter staple. The guy who plays the sheriff. I love that guy. He's in a bunch yep. of uh, John Carpenter flicks. So good, so good. I, I think that he still does give off a little bit of that vibe too. Either either that or he's then gone mad trying to contain Michael Myers. You know, like maybe a little part of him has kind of done one bird over the cuckoo's nest, you know, kind of. You know, he's been dealing with this guy his his, his entire life, so... <clears throat> and to me, it just comes across like he's very frustrated that he's been telling people for years that this one patient is not like the others, and no one will listen to him, and now they're reaping the reward for not listening to him. You're gonna yeah. die. He definitely goes around and warns everybody that will listen to him. I mean, even in, the, talk. even in the first scene when he's in there with the nurse, he to me it's like he's been saying this for years. They're supposed to take him to the hearing, and he's like, "I've told them, but they won't listen." So we're gonna tell him again. Yeah, there. You know, there's some good stuff too. Uh, and he doesn't even call him he; he calls him it. Yeah. <laughs> there's some good stuff. Have you guys seen the the TV edit? That yeah, Carpenter actually went back and and shot some scenes because the once they cut out you know all the bad stuff <laughs> for television, it wasn't long enough to play on TV. So when Carpenter was doing uh, Halloween two, um, they went back and and shot some scenes, and most of them are Donald Pleasant's like you know talking to Michael Myers. There's even like one at his hearing where he's like, you know, you may have fooled the board, but you didn't fool me, Michael, and I'll make sure you never get out. <laughs> You know, it's more crazy yeah. stuff, but it is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of cool to see. It doesn't really fit in to the movie that we got, but I don't know. It, it is, it's nice to see, like, a little bit more of Pleasance, you know, in his environment, like, warning everyone. Because in Halloween, the, you know, there's even that scene where the sheriff kind of is like, damn you for letting him out. You, you do yeah. get a sense that Donald Pleasance feels a little bit guilty. Like, yeah, he's been going around saying all this stuff, but he, he feels he feels partly responsible. Well, I mean, you even get the whole argument between him and I guess would be the president of the hospital. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess. You yeah, know, where they're kind of like just throwing. Or... Yeah, the chief of staff. They're like just kind of throwing blame at one another. So, I mean, yeah. Well, he couldn't yeah. get very far. He doesn't even know how to drive a car. Well, he was doing very well last night. Maybe someone around here gave yeah. him lessons. <laughs> There is a one other part, man. That, that, that going back and watching it, like every time, dude, I, I, it makes me fucking laugh. Is when the the three little boys, the three little bullies, go up to the Myers house, and Loomis is kind of standing over to the side behind the bushes. Hey, he's like, Lonnie, get your ass get your away ass from out. there. <laughs> yeah, fucking freaky old <laughs> man. Just the look on his fucking face, man. It's fucking priceless. He's like, look, I just, I still, I still got it, guys. I could do Halloween pranks, all right? Well, he's got this like, this like mischievous smirk on his face. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, then, no he's, he's trying to entertain himself because look, dude, he's how long's he been standing out, out there outside that that house waiting for like fucking four or five a hours? Couple hours at this point. <laughs> like, it's it's got to be at like ten to eleven o'clock at night at this point. And the last oh, thing he yeah. needs is some little kid screwing it up. <laughs> kid, don't go in there and get murdered. Oh, my goodness. We do have to bring up uh, Dean Cundy, um, who we've talked about yes. on this show. I do not even know how many times. We, I think we've talked about him more than any other cinematographer. 
Guy Shot, uh, Roger Rabbit, Jurassic Park, all these Carpenter classics, Big Trouble, Little China, The Thing, Escape from New York, of course, Halloween. And I will say this, but it could be our generation. I don't, man, Vincent, I don't know how many people reference Halloween when you're shooting a movie and they're like, you're shooting at night and everyone goes like, yeah, you know, uh, we want some Halloween blue here. <laughs> and that, that, that is like, a, that's a thing. Everyone just immediately knows what you're talking about. Like, oh, okay, okay, we're doing a blue moonlight. Um, all right, like just like in Halloween. Okay, all right, let's, let's go do it. Even though the moonlight is not blue, but it, you know, it works in this movie. It didn't look as blue on the 4K. And there's a bunch of uh, versions of Halloween on VHS, DVD, and, and Blu-ray, and they've released a 4K, which looks great. But in 2013, that edition, uh, the Blu-ray edition of Michael Myers, he's got like a side profile uh, is for the box art. They did a retime, and they, they lost a little bit of that blue. And it's it lost a little bit of its kind of like just saturation in general. And I I know... That Cundy supervised it himself. He was the original cinematographer. He's going to know what it looks like. It's just not how I'm used to it. <laughs> I've, just, I've lived with it on VHS. I did see this when it came out in the theater. I wasn't alive. I, you know, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm sure that's the way it looks. It's supposed to look. It's just I'm not used to it. Yeah, the DVD I have for it, because I, I actually still have the DVD for it, apparently. And... uh I, I had looked on looked at that, you know, like trying to compare us compare it to the Blu-ray, and yeah, the DVD does have a little bit more of a blue look to it. Baker Bay Blu-ray is the one that everyone will remember. Like that's the way Halloween looks. That's the VHS tr- uh, transfer and color timing, and then the one that Lionsgate did is, yeah, it's it's the new transfer. It's supposed to be more faithful, but I don't know. No, that's the one I got, bro. Yeah, hey, you know what I mean. It just it it's it's just it's at the end, really, where it's most noticeable. It's just not as blue. They they cut down on it a little bit. I wonder if Cundy was getting so much shit over the years for that. He's just like, you know what? We're just gonna go in there and take a little bit of that blue out. I'm so goddamn tired of these motherfuckers riding my ass about this shit. Either that, or it really just wasn't supposed to be blue, and he's the whole time going, <laughs> "Why do they like this blue? Moonlight is not blue." Like, I've been trying to tell them for years, man, and they just wouldn't listen to me. I've been trying to tell them. He is right. I got a chance now to I fix it. I'm going to fix way. it. And now everybody's going, where's my blue moonlight? And he's like, the world is See, I told you, sons of bitches. We should have never done it blue. Uh, I think the last piece of information we should uh, we should touch on before we, we go straight to the movie. Uh, the first shot in the film... Is is an awesome Steadicam shot. Well, okay, it's not a Steadicam shot because Steadicam is actually a proprietary system invented by what was the guy's name? Garrett Brown. Who's the guy that worked on Rocky, right? Yeah, uh, they used it on Rocky. I forget what the first movie they used it on, but this system was actually uh, Panavision released a competing uh, image stabilizing system like the Steadicam, and they called it the Panaglide. And this was only the fourth film. To use this thing. Like the first one was um, Terrence Malick's uh, Days of Heaven. So, I mean, this thing was super, super new when they were using it. Uh, and there's actually some internet uh, footage you can see with Dean Kundi and the first AC. And they're going out and they're testing this thing out for the first time. I don't know who found that. But, yeah, you, you can you can watch them testing it out in a parking lot around the offices. 
renting it out with anamorphic lenses. It's, it's pretty cool. You can definitely tell that's a new toy. I mean, well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's so new that they made a lot of they made a lot of mistakes with it. I mean, you know, they were learning. They didn't know, you know. I mean, we all do that. There, but there's uh, there's some camera, sh- you know, shadows and things like that. But again, low budget. Man, seeing for me on this, it doesn't bother me at all. Dude, it doesn't either. And you know, the only reason I've noticed it is because I've seen this movie so many fucking times, dude. I mean, it's a favorite. All right, guys. I think we're at the break point. We're going to play the trailer, and when we come back, we're going to talk John Carpenter's Halloween. What do you want, cat? A kitty cameo? Halloween night. A small American town. Fifteen years ago. trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. Exploring uncharted territory. And totally charted. Just Sure, sure. The only reason she babysits is to have a Halloween. Okay, Linda. Come on out. trailer for john carpenter's 1978 classic halloween the red band trailer (laughs) i don't know if that was an actual uh i don't know what what that band was in front of that trailer i don't know if that was something somebody made or what but uh looked authentic it didn't it didn't have the mpaa logo though that's the only thing have you seen the new uh uh green band um mpaa coming soon banner now they put yeah. In front of the the trailers, they redesigned it where they blew up the MPAA globe. You know, it's real big now, and it kind of has like the opacity drop, like fifty percent, and it's kind of like stuck on there like a big giant watermark. Really? Yeah. 
and they changed the way the text is laid out. This I think is still the same basic text, but yeah, it just it looks different in front of trailers. It'll catch you off guard. It's like what? Wait, what the hell is that? That's, this one's fake. <laughs> that's not real. What's my normal? Just to let you know that they're protecting the world from films. Well, they're protecting your precious little eye sockets from seeing things that are harmful. May make you go turn into a serial killer. You know, because if you watch Halloween too many times, you may become a Jeffrey Dahmer-like serial killer. Or I don't you know might about become that. A, a soulless, black-eyed devil child. Or person. a babysitter. <laughs> yeah, or a babysitter. <laughs> just a really good like babysitter. The, yeah, you could yeah. decide to you know make a career in babysitting, and you know, occasionally I take a couple of hits off my my girlfriend's joint, but I mean, outside of that, no, I'm I'm a, I'm yeah, a good little virgin earn, girl. Earn some money and <laughs> in the watch movies shit. on Halloween. That's right, man. Make, make your popcorn. Make some pumpkins. <laughs> She's, she's got her fucking ball of she got her ball of yarn and shit for her macrame. Uh, uh, dude, I love it when she walks out of the house like right after seeing Michael Myers and like laying in the fetal position on a fucking bed, and the next shot is she's walking out with a pumpkin and a, and a knitting <laughs> like a whole crochet yeah. of shit, like fucking needles and like a half of a fucking napkin. She's fucking knit. She's she's got her hey, plan man, for the night, man. Her. Yeah, man, but that macrame needle came in in handy, too. Yeah, it did. Mm, Didn't have that. It would have been bad. Hey, she comes prepared. You gotta come prepared. I do like the uh, opening credits in the movie with the pumpkin. It's very simple, you know, orange text. But, man, it's the music and everything. I know we talked about the music being awesome, but... No, we haven't. Uh, that's one thing. Have we not talked about like the music? We have not touched on the music yet. Oh, my... Okay, director John that, Carpenter. That's a question I got... I got for you guys like what was that who's the who's the bigger star of this movie Michael Myers Laurie Strode or the soundtrack John Ooh. Carpenter yeah John, yeah I mean he he directed the movie co-wrote the film with um, mm-hmm. Deborah Hill Deborah who Deborah also Hill. produced it yeah. and because they were dating at the time or married weren't they uh no I don't think they were they weren't married yet oh, okay because they'd met um on their previous feature, Assault in Precinct 13. She was a script supervisor. And uh, there's, like, some real cute story where, like, he showed up at her house, like, after they got done, you know, shooting. He's like, I can't get you out of my head. We got a date. (laughs) Psycho. (laughs) She should have known then. Something was off. He is the master of horror, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess he's he is the master of horror now, man. Dude, I would say I agree with that. Yeah, well, I mean, we lost Romero, dude. We lost Wes Craven. We lost Toby Hooper. Yeah. Stephen King's still around. Oh, okay. Well, I'm talking about film. Oh. Yeah, you know, I mean, I guess if you're talking about Master well, I mean, of Stephen, overall. Stephen, you know. you know, King did direct some. He directed one <laughs> some movie. Of his own. I guess that was a horror <laughs> film. It was horrible <laughs> to get through. Oh, my God. He says he wants to try it again. Really? He says he doesn't think he'll make the same mistakes this time. He'll make all, all new, new ones. <laughs> he made the exact same joke. I bet he did. Oh, man. Well, hey, look, you know, that's showing growth and learning. He did. It, it was pretty funny. He said that at the time he was just so basically like geeking out that he could use ACDC. He was like, yeah. Man, he was so coked out of his fucking mind. He was like, fuck it, this is going to be awesome. Fuck yeah. Yeah, baby. Uh, TNT, dynamite here. Trucks. <laughs> I, I had thought the same thing. But I, I, 
I wasn't going to be as blunt as you are, Elkins. <laughs> Did you see that green mist in outer space? It's causing the vehicles to come alive. <laughs> they drive uh, and right. kill. What, wait, uh, hold up. Once they uh, murder all the humans, who the fuck's going to fill up their gas tanks? That's what I want to know. AC, DC! <laughs> <laughs> That would be awesome. This is his response while well, he's like snorting and like <laughs> trying to suck up air through, through alternating holes. <laughs> Woo! Just did the coke in that nostril. Oh, making fun of people's bad years. Uh, what are you gonna do? Well, he got through it, so we can laugh about it. But uh, okay, um, opening credits, POV shot. We should we should talk about this. I th- I think the the POV shot. We talked about it being shot on the Panda Glide. We had, we've seen other like point of view and establishing shots from a killer's perspective before, but the way this is done, I loved how ingenious it is that the reveal, when you get out of the POV shot and you see that it's a little boy that just brutally murdered this woman or this teenage girl yeah. upstairs, man, that that is that is pretty shocking. Yeah, it is. And also, I believe that this is... this first beginning shot is the longest continuous shot in the entire film too most definitely i mean because i i don't i can't remember what 35 millimeter mags um when you're handheld you can't run a full a full mag because it just weighs too much it's too much for the camera operator in terms of weight like to hold and to operate effectively so they use smaller film mags i think they use like what 400 800 uh, length mags and that that only gets you about four four minutes to five minutes for like four hundred foot, and around eight to ten minutes for eight hundred foot. I think that math is right. I mean, it's been a while. I have not worked with film in over a decade, so like you know they'd get done with that shot, that handheld shot, and they'd have to reload those mags all over <laughs> again to do a different take. Can you imagine getting almost to the end of the take? And the car doesn't show up on time, or it's like, God. and film is expensive too. So when you do all these takes, that's money. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you've literally just shot a bunch of money because once you shoot the film, you already paid for it, and then you got to pay to get it exposed too. So rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. Oof, yep. But I, I, I think the way this movie is set up, um, it, it, it's really fast paced. You get. The POV, Michael killing his sister. Then you go straight into to Loomis right after that, who is just already talking about how terrible and evil he is. And he just wants to keep him locked up and would, drugged on Thorazine. Would you say it's fast-paced or purposely paced? I would say it's 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 fast-paced from scene to scene. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's not a filler scene in between. But I it's purposely-paced within the scenes. Pace, you know what I mean? Okay. What are you saying, Paul? I said that boyfriend's fast-paced. <laughs> Yes, that is the uh, quickest sex in film history. I think. Like, even if you there cut, no way. Like those sh- those things where like like they start to have sex, and then like you cut, and there's clothes on the floor. Like this guy was faster than if that was in real time. She yep, could have been teasing him all dressed. night, and he's just like, "Yep, hey, <laughs> we should have done this an hour ago." <laughs> Got a lot of good. What's the what's the what's the old just, joke? Um, we started at the same time. We should have finished at the same time. It ain't my fault. <laughs> I think I think he pulled a Forrest Gump. He just saw them Teddies. He just couldn't hold himself. I don't know what happened. It, yeah, it, it is it is quick. 
I do like on the audio commentary, Jamie Lee Curtis is like every fucking audio commentary she's on. She has got to point that out. And her and John Carpenter actually got a little antagonistic on the audio commentary for the new one. They did uh, an audio commentary with both of them, and they're, they're like actually both there, present. And there's there's a couple of spots where like Jamie Lee Curtis actually points out in like the opening POV shot where they she's like, oh yeah, there's some cuts here, and it, it's when she picks up the knife. And John Carpenter on the audio commentary goes, oh, is that when it is, Jamie? <laughs> and she's like, well, John, John, don't be antagonistic, John. <laughs> Just like, are you sure that's when it is? And then the, then it happens and the cut is not there. She's like, oh, there's not a cut there. And he's like, yep, there's no cut there at all, Jamie. Because the cut is up here when he grabs the mask, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, somebody getting a little bit snarky. Yeah, yeah, I think he was uh, he was he was having fun with it. But John Carpenter's a, a good, good good guy, good guy. I do like the only time you see the parents is when uh, Laurie's leaving the house. It's the only parent you ever get in the entire film. And the dad, the sheriff. Well, yeah, the sheriff the sheriff yeah. is is Annie's dad. But I mean, like outside of of that, you don't. There are no other parents in the film. They don't well, show do, up. You, well, you get Michael's parents, of course, in the beginning. Okay, okay. So there's there's three other. Are there any more parents, guys? Are we going to add any more here? Well, there's Loomis's parents yeah. in the scene where... Since, you know, since you're talking about this. Okay, well, I, I guess... Okay, so there's so there's a couple of parental units, but I like that there's... I like the fact that a lot of them are gone. You know, it ups the danger. Again, just like putting, you know, females in danger ups the ante a little bit. Yeah, I, I always really enjoyed the... Um, I always thought it was a really, really cool scene when... You know, you you first get the the headlights hit on the uh, the grounds of the mental asylum, and you just see all these people, and it almost kind of looks like all the white nightgowns. <laughs> yeah, like they're almost like zombies, kind of just meandering around. I think out of out of that entire scene, man, I love the shot when um, Michael Myers comes up onto the back of the car. But I think what really gets it, man, is when he scares the nurse and then he just like palms the passenger side window and you just see it like fucking spider whip. I've always thought that that was just I was just like, man, what what an awesome just a fucking awesome shot. I remember as a kid asking my dad, why can he move so limberly in the nightgown, but in the shop one suit? Oh yeah, he's in mechanic jumpsuit. He, yeah. He's very stiff and yeah, almost got a robotic kind of feel to him. Very Terminator. But Dan said that those uh, mechanic jumpsuits are a little constricting. And as a kid, I completely bought it. I was like, oh okay. Well, you know those nightgowns, it, they did look like they were pretty uh, open and allowed a lot of areas to breathe. Right. <laughs> very unconstricted. Made of nice soft cotton. <laughs> I like to I like to feel the wind come up between my nether regions and give me a nice little blow. Yeah, that's a just that whole sequence right there is it's it, it once again you know it, it's it's just beautifully shot. It it does build this intensity to it, and he he kind of just straight carjacks the nurse. I will say the the car scene's my least favorite shot section in in the movie, just because it's so low budget, and you can tell Dean Cundy has no idea where to put the lights. He is so confused. Lighting is a little rough. Yeah, it's just like it's just like wh- where do I put them? I, you know, like he can't put them up above. You know, they're driving the car; it's supposed to be night, and he's just, you know, he's got this small little source kind of 
filling in. I guess it's supposed to be the dashboard, but it's really warm and it, you know it, it's it's the it's the best you're gonna do on a low budget. You know it, it it doesn't bother me, but like the rest of the movie does look so well that that is that that that, that is my least favorite section. The shot of him climbing up on the back of the car is good though. Oh no, that's great. No, all the stuff like once they pull up to the. Um, the sanitarium and then they're going all outside and everything. Oh, that, that, no, I loved all that stuff, man. That's cool. The intercutting stuff of like the headlight POVs is like, man, y'all had no light. Yeah. They are literally using the car headlights to light the scene. Yeah. That's what I was, that's what I was thinking too. They were just using the, they, they were like, you know what? Let's put the station wagon on bright and let's roll with it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we're, we're introduced um, to our, our three main characters, Laurie, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, Annie, played by um, Nancy Loomis, who is also, well, was dating or married, actually, to um, Tommy Lee Wallace, who was the editor and production designer for this, who also went on to do, uh, he directed Halloween 3 and Fright Night 2 and the TV miniseries of It!, the third character is Linda, played by PJ Souls. And yeah. I, I really like their their dynamic. Yeah, I do too. I I, I really kind of like the almost ebb and flow of their conversations, and and they they're very convincing. You know that they're all high school teenage friends, and you know I, you kind of do get the vibe that that Laurie Strode is kind of I guess like kind of the butt of jokes. In their little group, she's kind of a little bit more of the. Oh, dude, they make fun of her. Like even when she's on the phone with her, that one when Annie, Annie, that one time, she's like, "Oh, I think I've lost it." Annie goes, "I doubt that," referring to her virginity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a nice, like, nice little dig that she just kind of throws out there right before she gets off the phone. <laughs> Wait, oh, it's going. You know, it goes back yeah. to that pairing stuff down to themes. They're very traditional stereotypical characters the virgin good girl the cheerleady goofy girl but they play it in a way that gives it life it makes them seem more like real people totally yeah i was totally gonna gonna work in a totally (laughs) you're totally right benson you're totally right looks like you found a drinking game for halloween Oh yeah, that or like whenever the theme's playing. Uh, yeah. Oh god, you you would be tanked before the freaking movie was over with. But I mean, yeah, going going back to those, totally. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Go, going back to those, those characters, though, like they, they are stereotypes. But you know, one thing that I think a lot of other slasher films got wrong with that is that they took the stereotypes and like they made all of the women like really slutty, where they would just literally sleep with any guy right and they're like they're just gonna take off their shirts like the one thing i like about halloween is these girls are not sluts they all have boyfriends and they're not like oh i like this guy like this guy they want to go out with their boyfriends they're stereotyped in a real world exactly i really really enjoyed that it was very refreshing like watching it now it's like man we we totally like missed this in the 80s and Look a little too far with the stereotypes. <laughs> well, I think by the '80s it was just okay. Well, we need to get some boobs. So yeah, I, but this movie had the boobs. Like, I mean, not like, I mean, it's not like a Friday the Thirteenth film. I'm not seeing that. I, but there are some shots. 
You get a PJ Souls uh, topless in a classic scene. moment. Yeah, you know, you see anything you like, Bob? <laughs> but even that's like a playful. It's it's a scene that would you could almost see happening between like a real couple. Yeah, where yeah, they're not, could. you know, in the woods and for some reason they're skinny dipping and some random guy walks up and they're going into a tent and feminist critics and a lot of people had a film day uh film day a field day with this film in terms of like it's messaging on what is it saying about a virgin and misogyny with uh, a male killer going after this perfect virgin and wanting to own her possess her and have her to strangle and murder there was there was there was a lot of things people read into this movie that's interesting because listening to the interview with Deborah Hill, she was talking about how it was really important to have a strong female character. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not it's not always like the movie is bad. Some feminists have you know turned around and and said that like you know it is portraying a woman in a strong positive light, and they even bring up the fact that you know these girls, even though they're in, engaged in sexual activity, it's with their boyfriends, and Laurie wants to do that. As well, uh, but she has like some kind of sexual repression. And that's no, what I don't really she's think just it's a shy. Repression. I just think she's just yeah, shy and reserved. I think well, that's what people, John Carpenter always said was it was sexual. Pre- I think these people are just forgetting how it's like to be a teenager and yeah, no shit, right? Before you, you know, before you're not shy, you're shy. Yeah, I definitely think. Uh, well, John Carpenter's come out and said these people were reading into it. He said, like, you know, the reason every the teenagers are having sex and drinking is because he needed them uh, to have a reason to not notice that there is a killer in the fucking room lurking and bumping all these people off. The reason Laurie is able to fight off, fight off Michael Myers at the end is because she is fucking aware of what's going on. She knows, like, hey, something's up. This isn't right. And everybody else is concerned about partying and getting drunk and, you know getting late makes a lot of sense yeah i mean he (laughs) go figure (laughs) somebody would actually make sense while making a movie and not make some theme yeah well he's come out later i think like that's like 10 years after the movie came out is when he started with the uh you know laurie being sexually repressed and that makes her more like michael myers and i don't know i i do think it's more of the first I look at this more as a roller coaster yeah. ride of a movie than I do of a, a character study or a, a, a social commentary. There's not a, to me. I don't. I don't think there's a lot of social commentary. Right. The social commentary in Halloween is don't leave your children alone in suburbia. <laughs> that's that, that, yeah. That's probably very true. <laughs> Guys, let me tell you what. When you interview the babysitter. Say, ask, ask the question, do you plan to come over and drink Budweiser's and leave the cans all over my bedroom floor while you're fucking in my bed? Absolutely. Not only that, but leave the ones that spilt out your raggedy Scooby-Doo looking van all over my fucking front yard. <sighs> yeah, what is with that, with that van? Like, Bob has, like, some kind of weird thing going on. He's got, like, a child molester van. <laughs> I think, like, oh, speaking teenagers of that. in the 70s had vans. Well, speaking of the child molester oh, thing, what is that weird comment that he makes about, like, the little girl? I think he was just trying the to be silly. Bob. I don't think he was trying to be yeah, well, for real know. creepy. That's, that's 
kind of an awkward comment to make about a fucking child. First I rip my clothes off, then I rip your clothes off, then I rip this little girl's clothes off. <laughs> yeah, then, we, then we really have a party. Can't slip jokes like that in anymore. Yeah, it definitely is not looked at as... Especially no. if you work for Disney. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh! Ooh. Disney bird. <laughs> Isn't the uh, Halloween franchise uh, what, isn't that owned by Disney now? Or like, didn't Disney's been distrib? They put out, they distributed the last ones, didn't they? And then Dimension well, yeah, Films they, the last couple. Yeah, Dimension Films. Yeah, yeah. Dimension Films owned by Disney. Yeah. Um, our, our three girls introduced, and Laurie Laurie is uh, the only one I guess is really noticing Michael Myers slowly stalking them. He drives by in the car. Um, there's another she scene. She notices them from the classroom. Yeah, in the classroom, there's one where uh, she sees him behind the the hedge. Okay, I'm having a little bit of a brain fart, but the first time he sees her is that morning when she goes to the Myers house to drop off the stuff for her dad, right? Yeah, that's the first time he sees her. Yeah. Okay, so that's when he sees her and decides to stalk her all day. <laughs> yep. Okay. So if her dad had said, not if it not said, hey, drop this key off at the Myers house, maybe, you know, none the of movie would have been about somebody else. Yeah. He would have just hung out at the house and been like, well. It would have been about that Lonnie kid that would have came there and did that prank, and Michael Myers would have killed him and all of his little friends. Right. What a different movie. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) One-time parents show up, and look what happens. Uh, Well, I mean, they change it later, like, to where Laurie's his sister in some of the sequels. Yeah, but I'm just looking at this one. Yeah, just this movie with just their ideas, that is how it comes across, is because she drops the key off at the house, he's going to stalk her for the rest of the film. Because I do love, like, the the CNM, and, you know, you you start kind of questioning, did she... You can tell she's kind of questioning, did I really see him, or am I just making this up? Yeah. Um, and, I, I, you know, I love the buildup, because you're constantly also getting Loomis telling us that he's evil, he's going to do something bad. You get the hilarious gravedigger, he's like, 19. <laughs> Dude, uh, that, <laughs> I love that gravedigger. Well, supposed to be right here where this empty one's at. <laughs> That guy is great. And he's like trying to talk to Loomis about some other like uh, terrible killing and some story. And Loomis just like cuts him off and he's like, where the fuck are we, man? Do you know where you're at? But even that, like working in a classic, classic horror character, gothic horror character of the gravedigger guy. Yeah. Like you you can't have a horror movie without a Van Helsing and a gravedigger. Yeah. And it, it ends on that great like. He came home. Oh, man. It, and the gravedigger's like, who came home? Wait, who, uh, no, she, she's been about? dead for a while, man. Dude, It's it's been like 15 years. So, you know who took this? <laughs> Can you get it back? <laughs> Damn kids. I always thought that uh, the reason why Michael Myers kind of like picked Lori was because Lori kind of reminded him of his sister. Yeah, I can see you could read it that way. Yeah. It's not, it's, it, it, it is one of those things in the movie, like, you have no idea why Michael Myers is going after Laurie Strode in particular, outside of that she just happened to show up at the house, and, uh, you know, the movie, the movie builds, and you get, a, you get a lot of tension with, like, once she gets picked up by Annie to go babysit for the whole night, I mean, this, this movie does start a very slow build, but it's very meticulous and very purposefully done. 
Yeah, it is. It it and it, it keeps giving you this kind of what I like to call fishing in movies. <laughs> kind of throws throws you out there for a little bit and then reels you back in and then you know, you almost think that you have this moment of like safety or this moment of levity, then it kinda hits you right back again with it and you get drugged right back into this chaotic and frightful scenario. And I think that's one of one of the greatest things about this movie and John Carpenter also kind of predicted his own future in this film. Oh, you're talking about uh, The Thing um, playing on t- television? Thing. Yeah, yeah. Dude, do you know those were – that's actually John Carpenter's uh, early v- – well, I forget what they were before VHS and beta, but that was his first uh, video format. That was actually his collection of, of movies he was playing on that television. I thought the beta were the ones before – no, there was something else before uh, VHS and Beta. I think that disc. first. No, no, no. La- Laser Disc was not until it the. It came along later. Yeah. yeah. That wasn't until the 90s. But, um, yeah, whatever that that first. I forget what it is. It was U something. U- UHF? Was it UHF? No, that's, no, that's, the, a, that's, that's a, a signal. Chain. Yeah, that's, a, that's the free uh, air signal. That's I forget what it is. But it's something yeah. like that. And they, they had bigger tapes. But they were super expensive, and from what I remember, not a lot of people bought them. Yeah, dude, the earliest thing I can remember is the Betamax. Still <laughs> Betamax. No, I think this this was this was a format that was before that. I'm pretty sure. But that, that's what he was saying on the um on the commentary. I, I should have looked up what that format was because I mean, you know, that's before even my time. I don't know what that was. You were just talking about how you know once the characters are all set up and you get into the Halloween night. And you're building up to Michael coming. Yeah. Um, it's got a very much like a scary campfire story feel, you know? It's like, yeah, I can see that, yeah. Like all these babysitters, and they were all there when he came home. Well, that's one of the, that's interesting, like, because that's one of the things that I think makes it different from, like, you know, look at something like Black Christmas, where Black Christmas is the killer in the, the house, and, like, they even do that thing with the phone where he's calling them and you're calling them from the house, you know, mm-hmm. inside the house. And this film does a very purposeful, purposeful thing where they set your characters up, you know where they're going to be, and then they start doing the haunted house thing where they slowly separate them and they all have their, you know, spiritual encounter. Only instead of like leaving from the spiritual encounter and all grouping downstairs later. They're they're just murdered, <laughs> but I mean it is very much like if you watch like Robert uh, uh, that Robert Wise movie The Haunting, it's it's structured very much like that. You know, it's a, like that gothic. Uh, it's a very thing, yeah. Right? It goes back to that once again that very classic yeah. scary story themes mon uh, not montage but um, layout. Yeah. I'm even thinking of like the Hammer. One other thing about Halloween is you know who the killer is. You know, it's not like in uh, in other movies where it's like they're they're horror films, but yet they're still kind of mysteries at the same time. And you get a big reveal at the end. Like in this movie, from the beginning, you know who the killer is. You know who the the boogeyman is. And yeah. that's another thing they they don't. That's not held back at all. That's in your face from the beginning. You know this, but nobody else does except for Doctor Loomis and Tommy. What's well, even told with that? sort of you know campfire telling style of and while she was doing this the killer was outside watching (laughs) her through the window yeah you're right about that while she was stuck doing her laundry and her foot got caught the little girl answered the phone and made a fool of her (laughs) 
I got a question to ask you guys. Maybe it's just me, but was the dog that the sheriff and Dr. Loomis found, was that the dog that was at the house where Annie was babysitting? No. I didn't think so, but... Because in that scene, in that scene before that he kills Myers the dog, kills that dog. I, I, yeah, I thought the that, scene is before. But. Yeah, it's before that. So no, he killed like some neighbor's dog and ate it because he got hungry. No, no man would eat that. This is no man. <laughs> he's always. Man, I tell you what. I'm telling you, he's Van Helsing. No, he is. He's like, look, you don't understand. Grab a cross. They watched a bunch of Hammer Holy movies water. and went just right down all of Van Helsing's lines. <laughs> Well, that's smart, man. It fucking works. It is like, yeah. it is really just like a thematic and tonal exposition dump. Yeah. Because it's like, he's not actually giving you any kind of like actual exposition. It's just like, no, we're just setting the mood. We're just we'll- constantly reminding you, this is not a man. This is evil. This is the boogeyman. This is. He drives those points. That, that's why I kind of side with the more supernatural camp. Because, see, growing up, I never even questioned it. Because, you know, I grew up, I knew there were sequels. and Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. We didn't grow I, up in the Jasons. And, I just yeah. assumed that in the first one, he's he's supposed to be supernatural. But then once, you know, I was older and I started thinking about, well, if you just take Halloween 1 by itself, there's a kid who grows up to be a, he's a killer as a kid. He grows up, he escapes, and he goes back. Is he just supposed to be a crazy guy? And then later they made him supernatural. So since I knew yeah. we were going to do this, I looked up and read read through the thread, and both sides made good points. Yeah, I, I can see both sides. I mean, I'm not going to... If you just think this is a killer that was wearing a mask in this movie, and you don't think there's any supernatural shenanigans going on, I mean, I can understand it. I can see it. For me, though, it just works better with those last shots. Dr. Loomis goes out there. He's already sh- he's, he's shot Michael Myers. He goes out there. He looks down, and then we start getting the breathing, and then we get the dissolves to every place he's been, and then it ends on the Myers house. To me, it's saying that, like, look, you can't kill this. I'm everywhere. Evil is out tonight. I don't know. How, are you, how do you guys read it? Well, there's either one way of ta- one or two ways of taking this. Either Michael Myers is supernatural, because that dude just straight up took a big ass uh, knitting needle to the jugular vein, or he's on PCP. I don't know, man. He took he took six shots: a needle, butcher knife, clothes hanger to the freaking face somewhere, to like the in the eye. Up. Yeah, I guess it's the to eye. The eye. Yeah. Maybe she stabbed him in the nose. <laughs> I don't know. No, dude. No, dude. Like that. I, and I will say, dude, I that was. You mean you never know? He they could have gotten down there, looked, was he was very... gone, and then. You cut to a corner somewhere where he's dying in an alley. <laughs> he's I all mean, fucked up. He's like, God damn it. Michael Myers just limps to the ditch. <laughs> Dr. Loomis goes out there and look, and he's just like, uh, he croaks over the ditch and they, dies. They go back to the Myers house, and he didn't quite make it up the steps. He's dead on the front porch. Uh, but that series of shots with the breathing. Um, growing up watching it, I always took that as like, you may have stopped the evil that was inside him now, but it's going to come back. You can stop yeah. the body, but you can't stop the evil. The personification of the evil that's in him. But no, I, I do think that that was a really, really uh, interesting, the fact that, you know, she she kind of did put herself in a, in a situation where it would be really hard for her to escape. But then, like, she straight pulled a MacGyver on that shit, dude. She's like, you know what? I don't have any weapons. The only thing I have here is a coat hanger 
and I can poke you in the damn eyeball with it. Ah, oh, come on. It's not MacGyver. She didn't have a stick of chewing gum and a uh, Swiss Army pocket knife and a uh, little mirror. And and plastic shoot, you locked MacGyver in that. He'd have blown the top of the house off. <laughs> <laughs> he would have. How does saying. that motherfucker blow everything up? He's like, man, look, I got a clothes hanger and a shoestring. Bomb time! Guy's like, hey, I got a yeah, chocolate she bar. Would, she well, took the, shit, why she didn't you say so? <laughs> Let's a build a laser beam that'll... That'll slice him in half. I, I, I remember a TV guy that had a joke, and it was a one-page MacGyver ad, but it just said uh, MacGyver's Toolbox, and it had a paper clip and a pack of chewing gum. <laughs> that paper clip, boy. He could do anything with a damn paper clip. Oh, man. What's your uh, what's your guys' favorite kill scene in the movie? What's the one that affects you guys the most? Dude, I just say when Bob gets it. Oh, really? You're Bob. My my favorite's Annie. Yeah. I I love I love the fact that the first the, the whole setup, and th- this is what is brilliant about Carpenter. Carpenter takes his time. He's very he's a very patient director. He's very patient with his audience, and he he lets he he lets you guys stay with him. You know, it's like it's like hey guys, come come with me. Well, I'm going to tell you a story, and we're all going to come along together. He never tries to pull anything too fast on his audience in any of his movies. Like, even The Thing, you get a good sense of, you know, what's up and, and, and what to expect. Well, he's telling a story. Yeah. Well, he's, he's, he's good at this. But when, when Annie goes, I love that she goes over to the car, and she's singing that song, My Paul, about her boyfriend. She goes and she tries to key the door and she's like but no keys my paw and she's singing this song and she goes inside she gets her car keys she gets ready and she goes back to the car she just gets into the car while she's still singing this same song about her boyfriend you see all the condensation on the inside of the windshield you hear the breathing yeah she gets like there's a moment where she's like what is, on. what is this? What, what is going, going on here, sir? Is Paul in my car? <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to get laid right here, right now? This is amazing! <gasps> Mass killer pops up. I think I'll go with uh, the ghost sheet, PJ Souls. Oh, that's a good one, too. And it's not just because the yeah. nudity. I, I like the, the switch up with the ghost sheet, and uh, she's looking right at him. Yeah. And doesn't realize that this is her last moment. I like when the uh, the sheet actually comes off his face too, and you get the you get the mask to reveal the other man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's really nice. And her death scene is really good too. PJ Souls, like I know everybody likes to you know everyone's like oh we're gonna make fun of her saying totally and that's you know that's part of the joke you know her, right. her performance that's what she's doing it's it's for the audience to go oh yeah totally. And it is a fun movie to watch with the crowd just for her. But man, her her death scene, like those sounds that she's making, they're really creepy as death sounds, mm-hmm. but they can totally be interpreted uh, interpreted as people having sex. Mm-hmm. It's so great. It has got the best fun line. Exactly one of the creepiest shots in the movie is the tombstone on the bed with her laying. Oh, yeah, with Annie laying on yeah. the bed. Oh, oh yes. Annie laying there. Just the lighting on that. Cause that, yes, that shot goes complete gothic. Oh yeah, dude. That's when we've gone full like that's full haunted house mode. Right. You you completely entered. You've left suburban story into gothic horror story. The last act of the movie is really perfect. I mean, just absolutely executed brilliantly. I would not 
I would not change a frame. And just costume design wise, with the white mask, dark hair, black, dark suit. Yes. So he can hide in that he can hide in dark spaces, but his face can be seen. Oh yeah, right when he get when she gets yeah. out of the room. Yeah, that is. And she backs up against the corner because she's like, oh, my God, all my friends are dead. Oh, my God, what the fuck is going on? And Jamie Lee Curtis is acting her ass off, man, just terrified. Those whimpers. And you start to see the shapes mask in the background, mm-hmm. and it's coming up. And, you know, Dean Cundy's over there just slowly bringing that dimmer up. And he's like, oh, that looks sexy. Oh, my God. That is a moment, dude. That is a great shot. Because it's almost ghostly, the way the face just floats there. It is so creepy, dude. Yeah, because you really don't notice the body at all. Yeah, dude, like, the, at all. The first time watching this movie, I, I watched it with a, a friend of mine. Uh, I, <laughs> we were ten years old. This is the part. Totally flipped the fuck out. Left the room. Left the room. Ten year old kid. Just he's like, nope, I can't do it anymore. I'm out. I was really? Like, I was like, what? You gonna leave me here by myself, man? What the? What <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> That's fucked up. <laughs> my birthday i'm sitting here i'm just like watching the last indeed of um, halloween all by my lonesome and, uh, it, and it, it does its job like you finish at 10 years old you finish watching that movie and you're in the house you you're checking behind stuff you've got that oh, yeah. uneasy feeling of i don't want to walk down that hallway oh no yeah man yeah, and part of it too I like, he switches up the music from that halloween theme until this just like this constant like ding 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 mm-hmm. ding and it's, it's just, just the percussion of the Halloween theme. It is just repeating over and over yep. and man. And that shit is unnerving as fuck too. God, it's unnerving, dude. Carpenter is is a is a good craftsman. I'm I'm I've, I'm always impressed by him. This is one of his best movies though. Oh yeah. This and the thing are my favorite. I like Escape from New York a lot too. And Big Trouble in Little China. And they live and Prince of Darkness. And Mouth of Madness. Of oh yeah, Mouth of Madness is good too. I don't know man, I pretty much love all John Carpenter movies. Yeah, I do so. too. <laughs> <laughs> he does, he does, like yeah, him and Wes Craven and uh, and Romero. Those like I don't even Toby Hooper. Like even their bad movies, I still enjoy them. They still do things that I would not expect and go places that I mean I wouldn't go. So what'd you think of the Ward? His last one, I liked it. I thought it was all right. I mean, it's again, it's a simple ghost story, and yeah. it, I don't think it does anything that's breaking new ground, but it's really well told. I, don't I think the last Toby Hooper movie I saw was uh. The Mortuary. The Ward was John Carpenter. Yeah, I don't remember the last Toby Hooper flick I saw. But yeah, that's the last one he made was Mortuary, wasn't it? And, and to be so. honest with you, Mortuary, it's not that bad. Have you seen it, Jeremy? Uh, no, unfortunately I have not. And it's actually out on the same, like, ten horror movies as Live Animals. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen it. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen any of the uh, Toby Hooper's films in a while. Give it the old college go, man. Yeah, I, I, I need to catch up on some Hooper stuff, man. So, Paul, when was the first time you saw this movie? What, uh, Halloween? Yeah, when was, like, the first time you saw it? Oh, shit, dude. I was probably middle school, 12, 13, something like that. Do you remember what you thought? I remember it freaked me the fuck out. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, man, to be honest with you, the movie that probably scared me, two movies that probably scared me as, which I was probably way too young when I saw both of those movies, and that would be The First Nightmare on Elm Street, because I was like seven or eight when I saw that. Shouldn't have been watching that movie at seven or eight years old. That and The Exorcist, which I saw when I was like 10. And, And those movies probably scared me more than any other horror movie I've ever seen. But I would have to say, man, third on that would probably be Halloween. Did you see any of the sequels first? 
No, I saw Halloween. Was the first one I ever saw. I was pretty young because Channel Twenty Four used to do the Twenty Four Karat movies, and they would they would do like Halloween one two one and two and some other horror movie on Halloween night. Oh, that's good. That's nice. They'd actually show them on Halloween. Yeah, a little marathon. There we go. I like that. Uh, I remember watching Halloween and then starting Halloween two, but not being old enough to finish it because it was on too late. <laughs> Who is that dude that uh, used to do, uh, it was Billy Bob something? He used to do the, the horror movies on TNT. Oh, that's uh, Joe Bob. Joe Bob, yeah. And a Joe, Joe Bob, Bob Briggs. Uh, Joe Bob Briggs. Yeah, Joe he, Bob Briggs. He'd have the, uh, I forget what that was, but like the Joe Bob Briggs drive-in or something like that. I forget, I forget what it was. It's something like that. But that, that guy actually um, uh, wrote a pretty funny book. It's it's kind of like a it's a review a catalog of reviews from like drive-in and cult films, B and exploitation movies, you know, stuff that we like to talk about. <laughs> oh, I do have to uh, make sure we mention that uh, Doctor Loomis Loomis is actually a, a callback because you know Carpenter was a big fan of Psycho. He cast Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, but Doctor Loomis he gets his last name. The character that plays the boyfriend of of Jamie Lee's character in Psycho, his name is Sam Loomis. So, there you go. I think we're at the rating section. What, what are we rating this things, guys? What are we rating it? One I'm to ten. Rated a classic. Ten. Oh yeah. Okay. Ten. So everybody's gonna rate this a ten. This is a great movie. It's a great horror film. Hey, guys, look. If you haven't seen this movie, what the fuck are you doing listening to this podcast? Like, you should have already have seen this movie. You should always see the movies that we're talking about on the show. It helps you enjoy the show better, guys. I'm telling you, this is a classic beyond classics. If you think it's boring or slow, go back and watch it again. Watch more horror films because this is the granddaddy of a lot of things. The genesis of a lot of ideas started here. And I'll go out hit go out here on a limb and say that the slasher genre missed a lot of the best things of Halloween. I fell in love with the slasher genre because of this movie. For the most part, the genre is really a letdown when you start, when you kind of start at this one, or once you see it, this is the best in my in my book of the entire genre. It's one of the best horror movies ever made. It is a thrill ride. There is not a lot of story. There is some character development here for sure. Um, there's there are themes here. See, there's tone. See, I think there's not a lot of plot. There's not a lot of plot, but there is a lot of story. There's a lot of. Well, there is a lot, but it's it's vague though too. Though you know, you don't get a lot of it's, you're, you're it's a lot of surface stuff. You're interweaving all these themes and elements of characters, personalities that play into how they get into situations, and I think that's kind of what sets it apart from a lot of the other slasher movies. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like a here and now. We you mean know, a here and now. Here's the characters. Now this is this, now this is what happens. This is how this is this plays out. Yeah, especially if you look at the classroom scene, you know. <laughs> There's no fate, but what we make. Or I forget what the what they say, but it's it's pretty much like fate. It's like something you can't change. It's a force of nature, something that cannot be stopped. Um, regardless of whether you look at it, you know, like that or in a religious context, they even see that in the movie. So, no, I you know you're right. Anybody else have any final thoughts? It's not often you see a movie that comes along that. Even on a low budget, we've talked about it before, it's that everything clicks. You know, it's not just that it's a good script or it's yeah. good directing or it's, you know, decent acting or good acting. 
it's something that's it's it's got that it that is intangible and everything clicks it all comes together and when you finish watching the movie you're like man they nailed that and I, I mean, I'm not gonna go down the hallway until I turn that light on first and when you're watching it yeah it it's you know it's pared down to very simple we need to put these people into situations where this guy can be scary and stalk them yeah and then they work in just enough of that classic horror story gothic element that you're sort of pre preset to know how to feel so you know when van helsing says the vampire is evil that you should be afraid of the vampire. So when Loomis says he's evil, you're like, oh, you should be scared of that guy. The doctor said it, and the doctor's in. I love that he finds this dead, <laughs> this abandoned truck on the side of the... Oh, dude, that is that is a great scene, man. And he calls no cops. <laughs> he just drives on to Haddonfield. <laughs> That is one thing I didn't know. I didn't know if I if I 100% like got the whole logic of like we're not going to get on the radio or the news and tell any of the residents that there is a escaped madman in their fucking neighborhood. I did find that a little. Well, I mean, he explains that. Well, I know, but I'm just saying because, the explanation is yeah. fucking thin, bro. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying if I was <laughs> fucking uh, if I was Murtaugh and this was Lethal Weapon, I would look at Martin Riggs and go, uh, "That's real fucking thin, bro." Whatever. I mean, whatever. I understand it. Like, otherwise, you'd have, like, everybody would show up and people would come out and, you know. There is one really, real quick thing I did forget to bring up, and it's one of my favorite things in the entire movie. And it's, like, when Laurie Strode is leaving the house that Annie's babysitting at, and she's, like, running across the street trying to get back to Tommy Doyle's house. And uh, she decides to go run to a neighbor and bang on their window and try to get help from them. Oh, yeah. And they just totally... They're just like the biggest dickheads on the street. Well, no, they should... They, dude, they just... It's like, oh, you're either doing a Halloween prank, you're some kid, whatever, and they just go right back to bed and dismiss yeah. her. And, dude, there is something about that that is absolutely terrifying. It just gets under my skin. I don't know what it is. Because you know it could very well happen. Right? I don't yeah. On Halloween night? Yeah. Middle aged old couples be like, fuck that. Yeah, right? It does uh, I don't know. There's something unnerving about that. It's just like, man, you know. It makes you like pre mad at all the kids that have played <laughs> pranks on that one couple. You're like, man. It's just like the kids in the blob, dude. Listen to those teenagers when they tell you there's a monster coming, guys. I'm telling you. If there's a teenager telling you there's a monster, you, you fucking listen to him. If there's an old man that's a psychiatrist, you listen to him. All right. And on that note, you've been listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. If you guys want to get in touch with us, you can do so by sending us an email to themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's the movie crew and crew spelled C-R-E-W-E at gmail.com. You guys can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at moviecrewpod. Guys, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Stitcher. We would surely appreciate that. It helps people find out about the show. Benson, where can people follow you, sir? At J. Edward Benson on Twitter. And Paul... Where can our audience follow you, good man? Uh, Paul R. Williams, J1, on Twitter. There you go, guys. And like always, we're going to close out with a little bit of the soundtrack. And that's right. Guess what? We're going to be playing John Carpenter's amazing score uh, from the Halloween soundtrack. We're going to be playing track number one titled Halloween Theme, the main titles. Enjoy. Enjoy.